welcome you and I stand by God's privilege to bring the word your way today. And I want to say to those who are watching on LiveGate Outreach TV, you are very welcome. And those who are listening by podcast as well, the Lord bless you where you are in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the testimonies you send in from time to time. We are truly encouraged by them and we pray that God will continue to enrich you in every way in Jesus name. We are on a series of kingdom lifestyles uh, in this our section of the covenant season of purposeful kingdom living. And um, the kingdom lifestyle of meekness is what we are looking at today. And I want to just say that as we have heard rightly from everyone that shared today, meekness is such an important thing. We use, I like this picture uh, many times when I talk about humility, meekness, and these sort of things. I look for this picture because I like it a lot. It's a depiction of uh, the, the greatness of meekness and the simplicity of it at the same time. So meekness is a condition of being submissive, as you've heard a few minutes ago. It's just about being meek, being humble. Meekness is not weakness. You see, a lot of times, humility comes across as weakness. When you learn to let go of a pain that is inflicted on you, when you learn to let go of somebody that is trying to just look for your trouble and you just in humility allow them to have their way, it looks as if you are weak. It looks as if something is wrong with you. The nature, the natural person wants to retort. The natural person wants to give an eye for an eye. But the reality of meekness is that it is strength under control. It is able to say, even though this is what you did that is wrong, I am able to accept it, forgive you, and move on. Praise the Lord. That is the power of meekness. So this lion and this lamb depicts the coming together. Naturally speaking, you don't have a lamb that sits in front of a lion like that. It is, not, it is just not possible. So that is to explain the mystery of meekness. That's why the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is the epitome of meekness. And he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is also called the lamb of God at the same time. Just to show you that even though he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the great I am that I am, whoever comes to him is saved. He has the name that is above all names. But yet he is the lamb that by himself laid down his life for the entire world so that you and I can be saved. Praise the Lord. So the coming together of the lion and the lamb is the depiction of meekness that God wants us to have. This act of submissiveness gives us access to God's power. This is why when Jesus demonstrated meekness by submitting himself, as we read in Philippians 2, when he submitted himself, the Bible says, God therefore exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. And that is why today, at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord indeed. Hallelujah. So Jesus exemplified humility and meekness in its purest form. Hallelujah. And so this is what the Bible is saying, that we should be admonished to have that same mind of Christ in us. I want us to start by reading Philippians chapter 2 today, from verse 3 and 4. We have read the whole verse 1 to 11 as our text, but I want to just pick out some things. Verse 3 and 4, let's read together. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Lowliness of mind, 
Let each esteem others better than himself. This is such a loaded scripture. Verse 4 says what? Let each of you look out not for only for your... Let's read it again, sorry. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. If we can follow these simple principles that Paul gave to the Philippians in these two verses, a lot of the problems we have with pride today will not exist. He said, let's go back to verse 3. The first thing is that whatever you are doing, let selfish ambition not be a part of it. You see, selfish ambition is what pushes people to the area of pride. Selfish ambition and every kind of thing to gratify self and to get vain glory. The King James calls it vain glory. Don't do it by selfish ambition or vain glory. That is what the New King James puts as conceit. But always doing what you do with the lowliness of mind. Doing it, recognizing that others should be esteemed better than yourself. It is not to see yourself with a low self-image, but rather to see yourself as matured enough, blessed enough to understand that God has also blessed other people around you and life is not only about you. Praise the Lord. This is why we teach young children from a very tender age how to give respect to other people, how to share things. How many of you know that you give children as young as two and three years, you give them sweets and you try them. You say, give one to your friend. The natural child will say, no, mine. And then you teach them to say, no, it is yours, but you also have the power to share, to give to others because those people are also important. So when they learn from that stage, they start to understand that life must not always be about me. The problem we have in a lot of adults and in, the, in, our, in our society today, and sadly in many cases in the body of Christ, is that many people have been raised with a notion of not understanding how to esteem others better than themselves. So everybody thinks they are doing the other person a favor. Rather than seeing that they are not doing anybody a favor, they are simply doing what helps the whole to be complete. Hallelujah. And so we have people today who drive, we have young people today who drive recklessly and play loud music and have a total disregard for the use of public space because they have not been taught adequately to understand that even though that is your car, it doesn't mean that you should speed down the road at 40, 50 miles an hour in a residential zone. It doesn't mean that you should play your music to the point where everybody around you is hearing it. Now, I play loud music because when I need to play loud music to worship, I do. But I do it like on the motorway or where it's free. Not going through where people live and, and, there is, and then you blast it because you are playing some gospel music. It's irresponsible. But what I'm trying to say is that these are things that when we understand that nothing we do must be by selfish ambition, always having a lowliness of mind, we must always esteem others better than ourselves. Every time we see only our interests, we will shift from meekness to pride. Every time something is about to happen and all you are looking at, a decision is about to be taken and all you are looking at is your interest, your interest, your interest, you are moving away from a lifestyle of meekness to that of pride. Praise the Lord. 
Now, we must balance these things. It doesn't mean that you give up your rights and give up your privileges on a whim like that. But it always means also that many times the things you will do in life will require you to consider the interest of others first. It is the biggest principle and uh, uh, formula of a successful marriage. Any marriage where the spouses are always thinking about the interest of themselves alone cannot stand. It's just a matter of time. It will crash to the ground. Because marriage doesn't work that way. Marriage involves a consideration of the other person every time. You want to sleep and they want to read. Somebody's got to switch off the light. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Somebody has to switch off the light or move away from that bed. I remember something Creflo Dollar said many years ago. Many years ago in his earlier days of marriage. And uh, he was on the bed. He was praying in tongues. At night, and his wife was sleeping. And the woman woke up, said, Honey, get out. <laughs> you know, it sounds like a carnal woman, but no, she needs to sleep. That is her sleep time. You want to pray and you want to pray loud? Go and pray in another room or go outside. <laughs> Don't disturb the person that wants to sleep now. And I never forgot that. I said, Honey, get out. <laughs> so there are times that you need to leave the space for somebody else because it is not just about your own interest, no matter how good it may seem. Matthew 5 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a blessing in meekness. It brings about the inheritance. A few weeks ago, we were talking about our joint inheritance in Christ. These are some kingdom keys that helps us to manifest and enjoy that inheritance that we have in Christ. Praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 2. Let's see how the Bible says Jesus got his inheritance by simply. Sorry, Psalms chapter 2, now not Philippians. Psalms chapter 2, verse 6. The Bible says in verse 6, Yet I have set my king, talking about Jesus, on my holy hill of Zion. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today, what? I have begotten you. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is the only begotten son. Every one of us are adopted sons, but we are joint heirs with him. So as we are joint heirs with him, we need to see what God has done for him. He said, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8. Ask how many of us have ever prayed this scripture. Ask of me and I will give you the nations. I'm sure you have prayed it before. The Bible says, let's read together. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession." And he began to say the things that he will do by having that possession. Verse 9, he said, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Verse 10, now therefore be wise, O kings. The kings there now refer to you and I. The small K, the small kings, the joint S. He said, now be wise. He's been talking about his son, Jesus Christ, who he gave the dominion. He now said, those of us who are kings, those of us who are joint S. He said, be instructed. You judges of the earth. Now verse 11. Serve the Lord with what? With fear and rejoice with trembling. It simply means that we must also have the same humility and meekness that brought Jesus this realm of dominion. The way, tell your neighbor for me, I always say this every time I teach on privilege to teach on meekness. Please tell your neighbor for me, the way up up. is is down. The way up is down. 
it doesn't sound logical, it doesn't sound reasonable, but that is the language of the spirit. If you want God to exalt you, you must learn to humble yourself. The spirit of pride is a very stubborn spirit. It's not a spirit that lives easily. It's not a spirit that even identifies itself so easily. I've never seen, hardly do you see somebody who comes out and say, you know, I just operate in pride. I know people say I'm proud of something flippantly and, uh, you know, I, I, it hurt my pride and all that. They just say those flippant things. But if you know what pride is, it's not a word you use. In fact, we have ruled it out of the vocabulary in my family. We don't call pride again. We are never, ever say we are proud of anything. Because Jesus, God never said, I'm proud of anything. Check your scriptures. He never told us to be proud of anything. When he was pleased with Jesus, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He didn't say, this is my beloved son that I'm proud of. Because that will make him put devil on top of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so don't be proud of anything. I know it's English language, people use it, and, uh, but this is our choice. This is our, so we, we're not proud of anything. Because the Bible says pride goes before a destruction. And I don't want to be destroyed. So I'm pleased for you. I'm happy for you. I choose my words even when I compile my emails because I don't want to say things that I know are contrary to my belief system. And so we must serve the Lord with fear. Jesus operated by meekness so that you and I can understand that the spirit of pride is one that we must resist emphatically. So meekness is developed by this kind of a deliberate effort of developing the mind of Christ. Jesus Christ is God personified, the word of God personified. Mike Murdoch said something which I've quoted to you many times. He said, the life of Jesus teaches us about heaven, but the principles of Jesus teaches us about earth. When we understand the life of Jesus, we understand about heaven. We receive him as the son of God begotten, and, and we receive him to be our Lord and Savior. We learn about heaven. We learn about our inheritance in Christ. However, how he walked, how he talked, how he did the things, and the principles he taught teach us and should teach us about how we are to live our lives here on earth. Praise the Lord. And so he is our standard. That's why the Bible will always say, looking unto Jesus. That's why the Bible will say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we be followers of Christ, and so on and so forth. So we follow God. We follow God as we follow Christ. We need to study his life so that we can see how he expects us to live. This is why when Paul charged the Philippians in Philippians 2, this is what he said, verse 5. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, read verse 7 with me. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Because that's why he came. Now we're going to go through four principles there that I believe everyone who wants to remain meek must always meditate on and make a part and parcel of their lives consistently. The first thing is found in verse 7. The Bible says, let's read verse 7 again, but he made himself 
of no reputation. That's very important. So, number one thing is that he made himself of no reputation. You and I must understand the concept of having a reputation. How many people have said many times, you know, I have built up a reputation for myself. And that is true. We do build reputation. We should build reputation. We should have a good reputation in the society. But one thing we must understand is that reputation that is built should help us to glorify God and not to glorify ourselves. The moment that reputation that is built becomes something that is now what we treasure above God and the demands of godly living, then that reputation is now becoming a hindrance. So Jesus made himself of no reputation, even though he's the son of God, even though he is the great king, he now decided that that reputation, I'm going to have to let it go so that I can submit myself to the assignment that God has for me. This is why many people fall short in their service to God today because they are holding on to reputations. Many people are holding on to reputation. Many people are holding on to some kind of dignity. We must understand that when it comes to God and doing the things of God and doing the will of God, we must be people of no reputation. We must be people who do not regard whatever reputation we have, whatever name we have, as anything. This was what David knew when he was dancing at the return of the Ark of the Covenant and he was dancing and jumping and seemingly exposing himself that his wife thought he was crazy and his wife was telling him things. He said, look, I have no reputation. This is my God. He has delivered the people. He has brought back the Ark. There is nothing I have to protect. Hallelujah. Many of us are full of reputation of titles. Reputation of status in society. Reputation of something that you think people will say. So we are not free to worship. We are not free to, to lie down and just roll on the floor if God demands it from us. We are not free to, to lift up our hands. We are too prime and, and cultured. You want to lift up your hands and you are checking your tie at the same time. Ladies can almost lift up their hands with a mirror in the hand just to make sure that all the makeup is still in good place. <laughs> because makeup moves around at times. <laughs> I didn't say that, is it? <laughs> so they would, at times it's like they should put a mirror and just be sure that, Lord, I lift your name on high. Is my lipstick still okay? <laughs> what reputation? This is God. This is your life. And this is God. Make yourself of no reputation. It is the secret to meekness. Hallelujah. Amen. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says, For I say, though the, through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There is a way you should see yourself. It's called a good positive self-image. But don't take it beyond that. The moment you take it beyond that, you contravene scripture. He said, keep thinking soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God has blessed everyone around you. You just need to open your eyes to see. When I was growing up, I grew up in, a, in, a, an, in an academic community. 
My father was a lecturer before he retired. He's still alive. He's 83 years old by the grace of God. And he's a good Christian man. He preaches, used to do itinerant ministry, was an elder in the church he was, and so on and so forth. So he was a very good role model for me. And he brought me and my siblings, my elder brother, my younger, my elder brother and my elder sister, I was going to say my younger sister, my elder brother and my elder sister, brought us up well in the way of the Lord and we are truly grateful forever. But one thing I did not like about him and his peers, as it were, not necessarily him per se, but particularly his peers who were fellow lecturers then, I saw a kind of arrogance in academics. I don't know how many of you have ever noticed that. Academics are annoyingly proud people, very proud people. Proud for nothing. <laughs> Just because they have read some books and they have a, some kind of qualification and some long title to their name. I am Professor ABCDEF. And he has no 1,000 pounds in his account. You talk to me like that? I saw one at the airport. They asked him for visa. I can't remember the country I was in. The man said, I just need to see your visa, sir. He said, do you know I am professor doctor? I said, there is a disease with this thing. It's like the more they read, the more that disease comes on them. You know, and it's something that if you notice that you are in a profession like that, or you have come from a family like that, some families are just naturally proud people. Very, very arrogant people. They don't have anything, but even if they do have, they're just arrogant. There is air of arrogance. When you meet them at a wedding function, they <laughs> you see the father, the mother, the eldest, so even the little baby will sit like that. You see which kind of family is this one? Even the one that is just six months old, you will see that air of pride there. <laughs> it's like a demon. And you, you have to make yourself come continuously thinking. I was asking myself, why are these academics proud like this? So one of the determinations I made as a, if not for the grace of God, I would never have joined lecturing because I decided in myself that I would not join this kind of profession where people are arrogant. For, and I used to see people who did not, they didn't even have first degree, but they were contractors who were building houses and building, and these lecturers, many of them were still renting the houses on campus, but they were so proud. When they gather all of them, oh my goodness, when they start talking, this one will talk about publishing in a scientific journal of this that nobody knows somewhere. <laughs> so I started praying. I said, Lord, then God showed me that because you have seen the secret, you don't have to follow the trend. There's nothing wrong with the profession. It's just that there is a kind of a spirit that goes with it. It puffs up because people have acquired educational <laughs> papers. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We must understand this, that whatever it is that you find around you that will make you, that will continue to keep you in a place where you are seeing your reputation beyond others, you don't need to think more highly than you ought to think. And may the Lord continue to deliver us from every element of pride. In the name of Jesus. So as I grew up, I made that determination that God will continue to help me. And I thank God and I respect people who study, I respect people who are breaking ground. And people who are really doing things in the academia, it is a very, very noble profession. But I must say, a lot of people must fight the spirit of pride. And there are a few other professions like that, but you just need to identify it and understand it. And like I said, if you come from such a family, what you need to do is to break the chain. Teach your own children that they don't have to be arrogant and proud. 
they have to respect other people. Everybody is important. Whether you have a better place position to them or not, God sees everyone as important. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want us to know that no matter what it is you think you have achieved in life, somebody has achieved much more. You just need to look around you and read. Somebody, if not, all the billionaires that we have on the planet today will be sitting down. But they are not sat down. You see them in meetings every day, breaking new grounds, because it's a, even at that level, it's just that there are fewer players there. It's a very competitive place. If you don't move, you'll be like Nokia. They took the world about 20 years ago. They took the world, brought mobile phones. Everybody on the planet was using Nokia. And they sat down there manufacturing those yam type of phone. <laughs> Smartphone came. Everybody said, this thing is coming. It's a new revolution. Nokia said, we are the kings in the field. Today, where is Nokia? Pride destroys. Where is Kodak. Everyone, you see, oh, it's true. We all use Kodak those days. I mean, children called camera Kodak. They'll say, give me Kodak. Because that was what was, that was the in thing. But we must understand that if you don't let it, like those companies crashed, it is an example of seeing yourself more highly than you ought to. Life is progressing. Number two is the next thing. Let's go back to verse seven. Philippians 2 verse 7, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation, verse 7, taking the form of a what? A bond servant. That was the next thing. Say to your neighbor for me, take the form of a bond servant. Look at what Jesus taught them in John chapter 13, verse 14. After he washed the disciples' feet and they were all wondering, oh, why? Peter said, you can't wash my feet. You are, you are my master. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Peter said, not only feet, wash everything. You know Peter. He said, wash everything. He was ready to just keep being washed and being washed. Jesus said, just for your feet. But when he got to verse 14, he said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Somebody say, has washed. He has washed our feet. We also Say, we also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15. Look at verse 15. Let's read together. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Tell your neighbor for me again. Take the form of a bond servant. When you come to church and you do the things you do in life, recognizing that you are a servant... And everybody else is also a servant. And we are bond servants. Bonded to God and bonded to one another in unity. By the spirit of God. We have a different perspective with our service life in the kingdom. You see, when a pastor sees himself as superior to the congregation, that is where his problem starts. That is where the problem of any leader that sees himself as superior, that is where it starts. And then anybody that sees themselves as superior to anybody else in the same congregation, their problem starts from there. But when you come every day that I am a servant coming to wash the feet of others, not literal pouring of water to wash people's feet, but coming to serve others, coming to be at fellowship with my brother, with my sister, your perspective about how you attend to the things of God changes. Praise the Lord. And when you are put in a group, 
you are in that group to want to serve other people. What does serving other, others mean? It means that you are looking out for their interests. When somebody is sat down there and is looking all sad and there are six of you and everybody was contributing and that one person, which you know is not his normal kind of disposition because some people are just naturally quiet, but you know him that he would normally talk and contribute. He's not contributing. Part of how you serve at the end of the meeting. Don't say, oh, pastor should have seen that that brother was not happy last Sunday. Nobody cares about people in this church. No, you should take it as an initiative to say, brother, I noticed when we were talking that you were a bit quiet. I hope everything is all right. And you might be shocked that they can open up to you and tell you things. And then you say, wow, I didn't know you were going through all this. Come, let's pray together. And if it is something you can attend to, at times you don't need prayer. Somebody is talking to you about a 200 pound problem and you have 500 pounds that you know you can give out. Don't pray. <laughs> what are you praying? Don't pray. What are you praying? Which kind of prayer is that? Say, brother, shaka, shaka. Keep quiet. Go and bring the 200 pounds and give the brother and go away. <laughs> what are you praying? You are praying that God should come and knock your head? <laughs> because what else are you praying? Go and bring the money and give the brother and say, brother, go and pay. Go and pay. No one will harass you again from today. In Jesus' name. Now, if you know any other thing you can do to help them, you do it. This is how we look forward. It doesn't have to always be about money and things. Just serving one another. Looking out for the interest. This keeps you very humble. Come ready to be a servant. Be a bond servant. He said, I have given you an example. You go and do the same. Number three. Verse eight. Philippians 3, 8. He said, I'm being found in appearance as a man... He did what? He humbled himself. And he became obedient. But the key there is that he humbled himself. Tell your neighbor for me, he humbled himself. This means that humility is something we must do intentionally. Jesus humbled himself. And we must understand that the way to be meek is not to desire a spiritual gift of meekness. There's nothing like that. It is about humbling ourselves. Many times the devil will suggest things to you that, you see, why do you allow this kind of person to talk to you like this? You humble yourself. You humble yourself. And you must do it intentionally. James chapter 1 verse 9. He said, let the lowly brother glory in his exhortation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field will pass away, as a flower of the field he will pass away. Verse 11. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. When he talks about rich man here, he's not talking about just somebody having money. He's talking about somebody who is proud, somebody who is arrogant. Friends, life is passing very quickly, very, very quickly. As a child, I grew up in a church where as young as we were, maybe God was preparing me for this kind of assignment which I mean today. I noticed a lot of things that my age mates who were eight, nine years old at that time were not cared, they were bothered about. They were not noticing. I noticed almost everything that was happening in church life. And I used to remember the age mates of my parents who were in their 30s, 40s at that time who used to have strife among each other. Families that were obviously at strife. I remember two particular ladies. One of them has gone, has, has uh, passed on now, but the other one is still alive. She's about 80 years old now. <laughs> and I remember how when they were in their prime, these ladies would dress to kill. These women, they were having children our age. 
my, their children were my friends. They would dress to kill and sit opposite each other like that. And the whole church knew that these women were rivals. Proving which point, I don't know. They were both married men, women. Their husbands were serving as elders in the same church. But I remember that scenario very well. When I saw the picture of the one that is still alive, very recently, I said, God, what a life. Obviously, all that ended many years ago. Everybody learned. But I said, wow, beauty truly fades away. Have you ever seen a girl that say, you know, I'm still very young. I still got my life. They say, take it easy. Calm down, girl. Take it easy. You see, I'm just 25. The next time you see that, I'm after I'm just 35. Before you know it, you're 45. You're 55. Take it easy. Humble yourself. Everyone that comes is not good enough. <laughs> Humble yourself. There are some people that don't appear in the packages that are correct, but they are the correct people for you. Tell young people, when they are turning away everybody, tell them, open your eyes very well. Most of the time, the men who will eventually be the great men don't usually look it when you see them. But a proud woman will turn away, a proud girl will turn away everyone because they didn't come dangling keys like that. Somebody says when you want, when you want to catch a girl, you have to dangle keys like that. I had that in one single summit. I said, wow, that's why it's another one. He said, even if it is house key, just be dangling it like that. <laughs> that it changes the whole discussion. Just be dangling one key. I say, wow. <laughs> God have mercy. Friends, a lifestyle of humility is always aided when we reflect continuously. I saw this very recently. Some of you might have come across it, but think about it. Always think about others. Your birth came through others. Your name was given by others. You were educated by others. Your income, regardless of what, whether you're a businessman or you work in employment, indirectly comes through others. Your respect is given by others. Your first bath in life was given by others. Your last bath will be done by others. Your funeral will be organized by others. Have you ever seen a dead man wake up and say, this is how I want, I want flowers here, <laughs> and then he goes back into the coffin? No, no, no. It will be organized by others. And you will be taken to your final resting place by others. And everything you now own will be inherited by others. <laughs> you see how important others are. Let's appreciate God for whoever compiled these things. Put your hands together. It makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Treat others with respect because they matter a lot to you. Final thing is in verse 8, Philippians 3.8. He said he became obedient to the cross. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Tell your neighbor for me, be obedient. Jesus became obedient to his assignments. We see in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. He says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but he was said, it was said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Also, he says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, and he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard of because of his godly fear. Verse 8, let's read verse 8 together. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9. 
And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He is, he learned obedience and he is now giving salvation to as many who obey as well. As many who obey the commandment to be humble. As many who obey the commandment to remain meek. He gives them salvation. He lifts them up. He exalts them. James 4.10 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you higher. A lot of people have not been promoted today because of pride. Not that they are not qualified. People deliberately stop their promotion because of pride. Because they know that if you give this one more power, there will be trouble in this organization. So they prefer to go and hire people and bring them. And the people are there frustrated. They think because they know the job, they should be promoted. But pride is hindering them. Every trace of pride will destroy today in the name of Jesus. Meekness exalts. Righteousness exalts. When you are meek, you give yourself the opportunity to be lifted by God. The Bible says God resists the proud. James 4, 7. But he gives grace to the humble. So if God resists a person, where is the hope now? We can talk about man resisting man and God intervening. But if God himself is the one resisting, where is the hope? Who do you pray to? The devil. The devil will say, amen. <laughs> Let the resistance continue. <laughs> Let the resistance continue. <laughs> because he doesn't want you to go anywhere. And then now, so you cannot do things that will make God resist you. You will not be resisted. In the name of 